Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You are really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that. It is a big deal. You're, you're scared to even leave your living room. <laughs> it's a. It seem what seems like a big deal moving isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3 or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we going to use? But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans. Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to west of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastion and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow, even in Orleans, I just can't get over that. Yeah, once you hit 10th line, 11th line, 14th line, he's still coming. He's driving in his brand new Dodge Caravan, carries his family around in, will sell your home. That's what I'm looking for, an easy ride with Bastion and Ferguson. Look them up, he's gonna sell you quick and easy. before we get started I, well just by looking at you I can tell it might be a question that misses the mark here um, but what is the best Danish dessert you would recommend to our listeners oh that that was a really hard question <laughs> uh, I'll say we actually have a, a dessert called uh, and and the reason why it's uh, a, a, the reason why it's uh, like popular to say to foreign people is because it's really it's really hard to pronounce. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you you can try it yourself. It's uh, you you just have to say "olde grød med fløde." Oh, please try, Mark. Olde med grød med fløde. Yeah. So it it you know it's just like um it's just like a dessert made of strawberry and then with with uh, milk or cream uh you know besides it. So so yeah. But but you know I love uh, I love all the desserts in the world and then. I, I'm so happy to travel a lot, and and one yeah. of the things I'm eating a lot is dessert. So I, I can understand your question. Have you have you had a Canadian beaver tail? No, I haven't oh. got that. Okay, that's next on your list. We'll get it for you. You come to Canada, I will buy you a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually been to Canada twice. I've been uh, two times to uh, Calgary. I've been on the Danish national bobsleigh team, and then in 2018 I was uh, in Vancouver 
where I helped uh, a guy there. Uh, so, and I can remember when I was on the Buffalo team, we had like in, in Calgary, this dessert, like it was like a, a brownie. And then it was yeah. like built like a mountain and then the fluent uh, chocolates <laughs> over it yeah. and ice cream yeah. on, on, on top. So it was like dessert for eight people or so. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Now that I'm starving, uh, <laughs> Thomas Gronmark. Now you've been a professional throw-in coach since 2004. Your job is to help teams to reduce the loss of possession, score more goals, win matches, win a throw. You're maybe thinking, really? Are throw-ins that important in soccer? Well, what does this say? He's been hired to work with clubs like Ajax, RB Leipzig, Ghent, FC Midtjylland. I think I nailed that. Does that change <laughs> your mind? If not, well, how about this? He was brought in by Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool, and helped Liverpool FC to win the Premier League and the Champions League. Now that we have your attention, take a second here and write down thomasgronmark.com slash free. Here you'll find Thomas's best basic four-step drill to keep possession, start attacks on throw-ins all over the pitch. You can use this four-step exercise for U9 to adult players. We have a lot of coaches listening to this. So write that down. Go to the website. Okay, good. We'll, we'll plug that again a few more times during the show. But welcome, Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. You're absolutely welcome. First things first. My eight-year-old brain is kicking in. You hold the world record for the longest throw-in, or you did, or you do? Oh, I did. Uh, my world record was actually beaten here uh, in 2019 by an American guy called Michael Lewis, but I held the world record for almost 10 years. But a little side story to that is that when I, instead of being like going totally envy to Michael because he beat my world record, I just thought, hey, that was, that was totally great. So... Um, I took a, a, a Skype call with Michael and his, his father, uh, mm -hmm. David Lewis, and I, I arranged a, um, like a, a training for him in, in Denmark in a third league team. So I helped, tried to help uh, Michael into uh, professional soccer instead of just saying, oh, he beat my world record. And then, and then uh, that was the, the summer 2020. And we also, I also arranged a, a new world record attempt for him to beat his own world record. He was only 31 centimeters from his own world record. But oh, you can no. see that uh, on my YouTube channel too. I've, I've been making like a 10 minute uh, road movie there. So absolutely yeah. recommend to, uh, to see Michael Lewis and his... Uh, Insane flip throw in world record. Yeah. Wow. So do you, wow. for that, I mean, you have to arrange for Guinness to come to wherever you're doing that, right? Was it a big event? Like, did you do it in front of a crowd? And, and third point, is it always a flip throw? I'll say that first of all, um, yes, you can pay. You can pay Guinness World Record to come, <laughs> but it costs like, I don't know, $10,000 or so. Oh, and, oh. And, and And when I'm, when I try, I started trying to beat the world record in 2008, uh, and at that point, I also raised money for JDRF Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh -huh. uh, and if I had to make the Guinness World Record people come, then I, I have to like like <laughs> take that amount of money away from diabetes researching. Who would want that? Because you can still beat the world record uh, when the Guinness people are not there. You just have to like send a lot of documents and videos and everything. But I did my first world record attempt in a match between Denmark and Spain, national team match. 
full national stadium in Denmark. Didn't beat the world record there. Then I had a world record attempt at the match between Hertha Berlin and Wolfsburg in 2009 at the Olympic uh, Stadium in in Berlin, 40,000 spectators. And then then when I beat the world record with 51.33 meters, then it was like at a at a girls' uh, soccer school in in Denmark, so li- a little bit more um, like you know it was not like big surroundings there. But but yeah. you know I raised a lot of money for diabetes researching and and then on to your next question there. No, you don't have to do a flip throw in. And and actually I was a non gymnast, so I couldn't even do a small summer in when I started to learn flip throwing. But I could I could throw very far with the normal throw in, with the normal run in. So uh, so no, you don't have to uh, do a flip throw in to beat the world record. But now it's it's impossible without doing it with a flip. Because even when I beat the world record, uh, yeah, this 51, it was impossible to beat. But now Mike Lewis has been throwing 59.81. That's like totally insane. Yeah. You, you can't do that with a normal throw-in. No. The players I'm coaching, if they're throwing around the mid-30s, that's really world-class. That's okay. around, you know, the first post in the year at a, at a throw-in uh, in a match. Or if it's a little bit more than mid-30s in a test, it's approximately... Uh, the penalty spot in the air. So, so yes, but but it was fantastic for me to beat the world record. And at that time, when I beat the world record, I b- had been uh, a throwing coach for four years at least when I started. And I thought, hey, if I'm the only throwing in the coach uh, coach in the world, why not be the world's best too? So it's been helping me a lot. That's genius. That. Yeah. So we'll jump into what you're doing now in a second, but I want to talk about your path to get there. Um, you were in athletics. You were a bobsled national team member. I mean, how does that turn into a throwing coach? Yeah. When you first are hearing about my background, you think, hey, that that doesn't uh, give any uh, meaning or or sense. But first of all, I've been playing football for, uh, sorry, playing soccer for many years. I reached the highest U19 league in Denmark and also played against good players like for example, Thomas Graverson, who later played for Celtic and Real Madrid. And so there was a guy I played against many times. But like in the mid-90s, I realized I couldn't be a professional uh, soccer player because I, I was really, really fast, but also uh, had really good throw-ins. Uh, but then in the mid-90s, I changed to uh, athletics or track and field, as you call it over there. And uh, already the first year I was training, I came on the Danish national team in, uh, in track and field. I was running 100, 200, 400 meters in relays. And um, yeah, I had six years uh, in the track and field world, uh, was several time uh, Danish champion. My best result was was together with my teammates from Aarhus Nittenhunder, that's a club in Denmark, uh, where we won the European championship in in the 4 by 400 meter relay for club teams. That was in Paris in the year 2000. But in 2002, I've never been better. Uh, just set personal records on 100 and 200 meters. And, but I had been moving to a small town in the western part of Denmark, where I'm living now, because I met my wife. I don't know if there's some of you who has done something crazy because of love. But, um, <laughs> but so, suddenly I was training alone. I had no coach. I had no uh, people to, to train with. Uh, so even though my, my numbers on paper were fantastic, still on the Danish national team in, in track and field, um, I thought, hey, I want to change sport into a team sport. Of course, it could have been going back to soccer, 
-hmm. but I thought, hey, I want to to use my strengths. So um, I knew that I'd been starting a, a Danish bobsleigh team, national bobsleigh team, four years earlier in 1998. So I thought, hey, I'm strong, I'm fast, I'm heavy. It's really important to be heavy in bobsleigh too. I was weighing approximately at that time 90-91 kilos, so that's really heavy for a sprinter. Um, so I, I, I joined the, the Danish bobsleigh team in 2002 and, and to be honest, I didn't know if I really would dare to do it because I was afraid of roller coasters. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, 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 I could handle it. And um, I had four years on the Danish national bobsleigh team, traveling all around the world, whole Europe, uh, Canada again, Calgary, Lake Placid in the States. Yeah, you know, fantastic four years. What, uh, was, uh, Thomas, where, where were you? Were you like, I, I don't know the names, like were you the, the first guy, the driver I'd call him? Were you the last guy who did the main push? What, what, where were you? I was uh, normally the last guy because I was the fastest on the team. So either the second man in the two-man sled or the four man, fourth man in the four-man sled. So, yeah. so yeah, that was it. Wow. But, but um, in the middle of that bobsleigh period in 2004, I thought one day, hey, if I can make a good throw-in, can't I teach other players to do it? So I went down to my local library to find that book about throw-ins. But there were no books and nothing serious on the internet. So, so I used approximately... Uh, six months to do a throwing course um, and in the fall 2004 I had my course and I honestly again didn't know if it would work because I've only like tested and video and analyzed myself but I had the courage to ask a local Super League team from Denmark called the Vibor and uh, yeah that's the best league in Denmark and they scored a lot of goals on the throw-ins improved the throw-ins a lot and, and the club had it as a uh, best placement ever in the club's history that year so uh, that was the start of my bobsleigh career. And, and, and why is, is these different sports important? It's because I've been taking my own knowledge from uh, soccer, playing myself, had a good throw in myself. I took a lot of, took a lot of physical things from, from uh, track and field, not only sprinting, but also the throwers, analyzing a lot. Then in bobsleighing, we did a lot of video analysis. We did a couple of thousand video analysis of the starts uh, every season. So I was used to doing... Uh, video analysis again and again and again and again, looking at the very, very small things. And then on top of that, uh, we were also very innovative on the bobsleigh team. We did a lot of things that we've never seen in the bobsleigh sport before, even though it was 100 uh, years old. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that too, uh, I've been playing a lot of basketball, street basketball and so and using a lot of these things in, in my uh, throwing coaching too. So yes, all my, my own experiences, I put, in, put them into my... My, my passion, throw-ins and throw-in coaching. When yeah. did you ever have time to eat dessert, Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just managed that. You know, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you really want dessert, you'll get it. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so you've gotten a lot of people's interest from this. And some, you know, pundits that we've read have uh, kind of written it off as, as uh, you know, crazy or unnecessary. And is this a problem that you've run into that mo a lot of people are just so resistant to change? I mean, this is such a, an important part of soccer. And it's funny, I, I think you, I read a quote of you where it's like, in soccer, you can give away a, a pass once and everybody's, oh, come on, you give it away twice and three times. Now you've had the worst game in the world. But if you throw a throw in, five times and it goes you lose possession every time nobody even bats an eye it's almost regular uh -huh. so 
why are people so resistant to something that's so important to the game? Uh, first of all, I'll say that you're totally right. Uh, if you're seeing a, a soccer match, then the commentators aren't saying anything at all if a team loses possession on a throw-in. Mm. Um, yeah. I think I think the challenge is that 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 first of all, it's been like neglected through uh, the last 140 years in the soccer world or the soccer culture, and and I think that one of the reasons is that I think. I know the last two, three years, it's been going very fast with development and data uh, analysis and so in soccer. But if we're going 20 years back, uh, again, been doing two sports on, on the national team level, we were light years ahead of soccer. You know, <laughs> there were, at that time, there were no analysis, no data, no mental training no real in-depth uh, physical training. So sometimes when we look at, at, at the, the soccer clubs, we thought, hey, what's happening there? And yeah. the, the players yeah. weren't really training <laughs> a lot. So, but, but now it's really gone fast. So, so first of all, I think it's, it's, it's a matter about culture in the soccer world. And some of the people who are like criticizing me, I think if it's pundits, it's, it's the kind of pundits who are like stuck in, in the soccer world 30 years ago. So that's okay for me. And if it's, if it's fans who are criticizing me, it's mostly like, like the rival fans from the clubs I'm coaching. Because no matter what it, how it is, then, then the opponents are really like, like stupid or horrible. But I can just say that, that a lot of people think that throw-ins are a small thing. And I hear a lot of people still say, okay, that throwing coaching or that throwing coach, it's all about marginal gains and small gains. No, they're totally wrong because normally there are between 40 and 60 throw-ins in a match. And it's the most common set piece, more, more throw-ins than, than free kicks and, and goal kicks and corner kicks together. And um, when I'm doing, for example, when I'm doing a throw-in analysis from for Liverpool, I do that uh, after every game. I get sent two files, the attacking throw-ins and the defending throw-ins. And that's just seconds before you get the throw-in in your hand. And then the following situation affected by the throw-in itself and the movements we make. And these two files are normally between seven and a half and, and 10 minutes each. So put together, 15 to 20 minutes are either directly or indirect, indirectly uh, affected by the throw-ins. So we're not talking about marginal or small gains. We're talking about um, gigantic gains. And so, so it's, it's totally crazy. And I'll, I'll give you a little quote here because that's the thing I said in the very first training session for, for, for Liverpool FC for the Premier League team there. I said to them that most teams are normally losing more than uh, or having more than 50% of um, – Oh, sorry, lose, losing ball in more than 50% of the occasions when they have a throw-in under pressure. If you had the same possession with your feet, you'll only be playing Sunday league football. And again, a little bit back to what you said earlier, that, that if you lose the ball with your feet. So imagine a, a player or a team only having possession in, in 30 or 40% of the occasions in the middle of the pitch. There'll be no new professional football players. They'll be having fun with their with their mates, like on the, on a Sunday afternoon, and nothing wrong with that. So, but that's just mm -hmm. the way the, the throw-ins are. So, so again, I, I don't have anything about against criticism because I think criticism is one of the most important things we have in life because we can't be better. But but what we want to go after constructive criticism and the guys like let's just say Andy Gray or Steve Niggle. Of course, they've been fantastic uh, soccer players themselves, 
but but they just shown they know know nothing at all about throw-ins and uh, how they affect uh, a soccer game at all. So so if that's the kind of guys who criticize me, it doesn't really matter. I'll say that there's more and more and more both coaches, players, fans who are like like saying. Uh, uh, talking positively about my my um, my job, and actually, I've seen a lot of both Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United fans were hoping that they will they can sign me. So, so I think that's the best example of I think that that throw-ins and throwing coaching are being accepted as a, an important part of a, a soccer match. I'm I'm so, I'm so glad that you came uh, and and became I don't know what that noise was sorry I'm so glad you 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 came on the scene at least for like in our consciousness over here like I can totally like, I used to in, get enraged as a coach when my player would would just get a throw in get an adrenaline rush and throw it to the guy's neck and you're like well, what do you expect that guy to do and to your point about possession and and you're like. I used to enrage me because I'd say, why would you make that decision just because it's a throw-in? But you're right, it would be almost accepted. The other thing is maybe just me venting a pet peeve, um, but to get into it a little bit. And I think referees also almost dismiss throw-ins as just get the ball back in play at times. I, I used to remember players, and, and I don't think it happens as much at the Premier League levels that you might be at, but some of the lower levels you may coach where the other team or a player would just start walking 10, 15, 20 yards up the field from where the throw is supposed to be. And it used to enrage me as a coach because I want to keep them in their end. I want to I want to press. I want to get possession. But a ref would just sort of dismiss it, you know. So um, your work and what you're doing t- is uh, is incredible. It's such a massive piece of the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm going to second that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double up on that where it's no coincidence – Right. This is the best thing that I read. I, I don't know if you said it, but it was reported that there's no coincidence that Liverpool, RB Leipzig, Ajax and Michelin are all at the top of their game and where they are. And that's the teams and humans and people that are non-resistant to change are the ones that are looking for that next edge. I mean, you, you don't look and see the bottom teams coming to look or, you know, the mid table teams coming to improve. It's, it's the people that are at the top that are always looking to improve. And that's where somebody, and I'm going to, Steve and I were mentioning this before you came on, but Liverpool, the year before you came to Liverpool were 18th in the premier league at throw in possession under pressure at 45%. And then Thomas came in and coached the Liverpool throw-ins. And that season, they were first in the league at 68.4%. That's an uptick of over 20-something percent. My math is terrible, but 20-something, I'm going to say. 20-something percent. And the season after that, Liverpool scored 13 goals directly off throw-in situations. And that's all – I mean, it's not the coincidence. That's when Thomas joined Liverpool. So, I mean, do you – are you now starting to hear from – teams that are in the lower leagues or lower division are saying, Oh, maybe now it's time, you know, instead of the Liverpools now that they've seen you're there. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I'll, I'll say that I get a lot of requests from all over the world and it's only because of Corona that, um, you know, I haven't been coaching more teams. I've, I've coached uh, eight different professional teams in in 2020 and it was also um, some second and third league uh, clubs in between. I'll say I've also been having 
just here in, in the last period here, been having requests from Brazil, Canada, the States, of course, whole Europe, Japan, things like that. So it's only traveling regulations who are keeping me, you know, here in, in Europe. Um, I'll say that, that for a long time, it, there's been a lot of um, coaches who have been interested in, in these things here. And it doesn't necessarily have to be professional soccer coaches because you can also have a, you know, a, a U14 coach, for example, in, in Canada, who's really forward thinking. And even though he's working with young boys, young girls, he, he just wants to develop the game because he can see it's good for his team or her team. Her team. Um, and you can see that 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 that, uh, that the throw-ins can be a way of, of changing uh, the team itself. So so I think that that their their interest is like gigantic at the moment, and that's also the reason why I'm writing on a book because you know it's really hard for me to say if there's a amateur coach from Australia or Nigeria or Tokyo. Japan, who's who's saying, hey, can you come and visit me, be, uh, visit us? And and that's that's really hard with uh, the economy and so so. So even though it's like totally cool to win the Premier League, Champions League, and so with Liverpool and and win things with other teams too, then my biggest dream is to change the the soccer world. So and the best way I can do that is with with my upcoming book and my on online courses in the future because that's much more payable for um, for people, no matter what level you're coaching on. So uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but... Uh, <laughs> I have a question to... I have a question to piggyback on that. I hope that wasn't my, my throat. Um, just about youth soccer, because you said at all levels, um, and I, I don't want to uh, set you up to fail here because um, I'm very passionate about youth uh, youth coaching. At what, because there's going to be some youth coaches here who are going to get excited, like I'm giddy having you on here and I'm a huge Liverpool fan too. And I'm like, it made me think about throw-ins in a totally different way because I have another question later that I want to ask you. But what would you say to U8 to U12 coaches who are getting really excited hearing you talk about this? I'll say first of all, um, first of all, they have to learn the players to, to throw in basics. And with that, I both mean make the players or learn the players to take a, a legal throw in because I, I, I'm seeing and hearing a lot about fall throw ins uh, at, at, at the, the U8 to U12, also even younger players, and all, of course, also older. And we also see it in the Premier League too. That's another, that's another story. So, first of all, learn the players to make a legal throw in because, you know, we don't want to have uh, young players fearing to take a throw in. I'm talking with so many adult people, also adult people who are not playing anymore, who said, oh, I was a fullback, but I was really bad at the throw-ins and I couldn't do it probably. And I was just nervous every time. You know, no matter if it's it's a small boy or girl, they, they, they don't have to be nervous every time they have to take a throw-in. So my message for the, the youth coaches is, first of all, learn them the, the basics. So make a legal throw-in, but also things like throw precise to your teammate. And that's, you know, the the, the four drills I've, I'm giving for free at, at my page there. Um, it's all about throwing precise to the to the feet and then try to, like, release the pressure when there's coming a pressure uh, on the throw if you're doing a return pass. So, and, and these basic things are just so important because if the young players can do 
the very basic things, it's, it's much easier because it's also happening that long ball down the line just been hurled in, in U12, 2 and U10. And and I think it's it's a little bit of shame because it, it makes the soccer uh, less entertaining to see, but it's also, it's not really developing the players. Mm-hmm. So can we, uh, if I have to like um, recap all my coaching, it's um, it's like, I'm coaching the players throwing intelligence. So with my long, fast and clever throwing philosophy. So I want to raise the, the young players throwing intelligence already from an early age. And of course, uh, I don't think that, that players so young should work with my, like my three zones and 50 throwing tools. No, it's more about the real, real basic things. So, so again, do a legal throwing, learn to throw precise to the feet, learn to utilize the new space around the thrower. When you, when you can do that, you can do that uh, already at, at, for example, your tenant. So then you're already on your way to, to have good throw-ins in a match. Yeah. So yeah, Jay, I'm going to build off your point. I had it here a little later, but I, I'm going to bring it up now. Just, just almost like a, a, a response to Jay's question, not on behalf of Thomas, because I never want to speak for him, but as a youth coach myself, what I've taken just from researching Thomas here is like, I know at the youth ages, I know in Ontario and in, in Canada where we live, They've completely taken away throw-ins from U9 and U10. We don't even do throw-ins in the games. They've replaced them with kick-ins. And now, for me, after listening to you, it's like our whole basis of coaching here in the youth coach uh, at U9, U10, possession. we got to keep possession. you got to build out of the back. you got to do this. And after doing your research, I'm thinking, well, why are we not doing throw-ins? Because this is the biggest part of the game and your philosophy is to keep possession through yeah. throw-ins. So why are we taking a massive part out of the game here and, and replacing it with kick-ins and then having to retrain our kids two years later to keep possessions with a throw-in that, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. And you're totally right. It makes no sense because uh, then it's even harder for the players when they're being U 12 or when it was, they, they had to do the throw-ins there. I think again, they have to learn the basic things, Again, things like doing legal throwing, throw precise, utilize a new space, but also things like uh, I call it making big boxes, because you have to you have to run to create space, and and normally a player, uh, a grown player or, or professional player, adult player has has to run at least like 12, 15, uh, 20 meters to create space, and sometimes even more. So we can also learn the very young players to create space. Uh, so we can throw, we don't necessarily just have to throw to a teammate just in front of you and then make the return pass. That can be, be good in some occasions, but, but the players have to learn how to create space uh, around the pitch. So, so again, working to create big boxes. If you have been creating a big box, then you can throw it to the feet, even though there's an opponent in front of you. You can make the players come closer through the throwers so there's space created in behind. That's also easy to learn for, for, for kids. Uh, but of course, if you don't learn them anything, it'll be, it's just, it's just as difficult for a professional player in, in the Premier League as it is for, for a U12 player to learn the first time. So, so for me, it's just about, about uh, starting early. And, and of course, you don't have to do the three times a week, but, but just with like, like a, 15, 20 minutes of throwing coaching uh, every week or so you can get very far. And, and, and some people might think, oh, do they just have to stand and throw the ball? No, my, my throwing coaching, my drills, 
There are also passes, scoring on small goals, space creation, defending, tackling, and sometimes also goalkeepers in there. So, so, yeah. so you can easily build it in in, in normal soccer training. So, yeah. uh, but but I think it all comes down to that that people have uh, the lack of knowledge, what to do, what to focus on, how to be better. So that's what I want to change. Yeah. So, and I want to talk about quickly. There's like this negative stigma about a long throw. I don't know if it's the old British, you got to just whip it in the box as hard as you can aimlessly. And funny, I read up about your, you know, uh, philosophy on long throws. And I'm, I'm going to take an example from Kean Hansen, right? From, um, I think it was, was it Michelin? They, yeah, yeah, Michelin. Yeah. And then he's his long throw. And that was a traditional long throw, long throw into the box. You improved him almost uh, eight meters alone and they scored 35 goals in the next four seasons directly off his long throw so that's one aspect of a long throw but the other one that that won me over and I thought wow that, that's just so it's so simple but it's not is Andy Robertson who couldn't you know he had the worst throw in the world uh, well, okay I'm exaggerating but he yeah, was poor and uh, when you got a hold of him he ex- extended his throw by nearly eight meters now what I want to throw to you is we're not saying his throws longer so he can just whip it in the box, but I'm going to throw it to you after I just give you a quick, like the reason now is, and, and the quote that you said is now his, just his options are more. If you can throw longer, you have more options, right? So it's not a negative stigma, long throw or learning how to throw long. You're, you're seeing more, you're able to do more, right? Yeah, you're totally right. And, and a lot of people think that, oh, you should only do long throwing coaching if, if you want to do a lot of long throwings towards your opponent's goal. No, Andy Robertson or Robo, as we call him, is a really good example because before I came to Liverpool, he could only throw 19 meters and probably the three of you could throw longer, every one of you, yeah? Um, the challenge was every time uh, Liverpool had a throw in, in on the left side, he's the left fullback. They were on big, big pressure because... He could throw so short, so his throwing area was really small. So, so by improving to 27 meters, he improved his throwing area with more than 500 square meters, and and it means a lot. And and I, I think that every team in the world should should do long throwing coaching to be have uh, players throwing further, at least the fullbacks and the wingers, um, and and. It's not because you have to use it as a set-piece weapon because in Liverpool, we don't take any long throw-ins towards the opponent's goal. In Ajax, we didn't do either. And many of my other clubs, we don't do it. But I still coach the the, the players in throwing further. So, because I have a bigger throwing area and, and most of my players, I'm improving between 5 and 10 metres and some up to 15 metres. And that's only with technical training, not any weights or so. So, um, and then on the other hand, I'll say that I have nothing against teams who are like going full in on long throw-ins towards the opponent's goal. Like Midtjylland scoring 35 goals in four seasons at that time. Also had a team, AC Horsens, in their 16-17 season. They scored 10 goals in one season only at, in the Danish Superliga. Uh, but I think you should only go full in on the long throw-ins if you have a really, really world-class thrower. Because what I'm seeing, for example, in the Danish Superliga uh, at the moment worries me a little bit. Because almost every team is now beginning to take a lot of long throw-ins. But the challenge is that the quality is not good enough. So a lot of these long throw-ins are coming um, you know, to the, to the small box 
or, or even closer to the thrower. So not really far. Um, and what you have to take in consideration is that if you want to score a lot of goals on long throw-ins uh, directly, then, then you have to take a lot of long throw-ins too. And normally you're, you're using like 30, 45 seconds to prepare it. So we could also easily score 10 goals in the Premier League on long throw-ins because Joe Gomez, I know he's injured now, but normally Joe Gomez, he has a really long world-class throw-in. He assisted a throwing goal in the, for example, the national game England-Croatia. But if we want to do long throw-ins in, um, uh, in Liverpool, we have to take perhaps, or, or if we want to score a lot of long throwing goals, we have to take perhaps 10 long throw-ins in each match. And it's not really fitting in with the Liverpool FC playing style with fast, entertaining, pressing, everything. So again, first of all, every team should, should train long throw-ins just to get a bigger throw-in area. And the second thing mm-hmm. is that I think it's great Go full in on throw-ins, but only if you have like world-class throwers. Uh, yeah. And yeah. if you don't do that, then then uh, use other throw-in tools when you have a throw-in on in the, the opponent's um, third of, of of the pitch. And I have a, like a lot of tools and and uh, things to do there uh, instead yeah. that can be just as effective as as a long throw-in towards the goal. Do you? When you train uh, a Liverpool, for example, or uh, or your Ajax, now do you train every player as the throw, or do you do you focus on the fullbacks and wingers, or does every single player, including the strikers, center backs, everybody, kind of run through the same situation? I'm coaching. I'm coaching every player on the team. Of course, if you're looking over whole season, perhaps the, the fullbacks are taking a few more throw-ins in specific yeah. drills and situations. But I'm coaching all players in Liverpool and my other clubs. And the reason is that if you're looking at a Liverpool match, for example, it's often like five, six, seven, eight different players who are taking the throw-ins in a match. Because I'm also working a lot with fast throw-ins. Can you get the ball fast? Then you you can take it fast, but only if if you have a good good option with uh, with no pressure on the receiver. Uh, or, and if you don't have a good option, then just wait for the fullback. But while you're waiting, there can also be another op- good option like coming. And if if the other players, it, it could be a, a midfielder, it could be a central defender, it could be a striker. It's all, it, yeah. I, I haven't seen Ali, Alisson, the goalkeeper, taking a throw in yet, but I think all the other players are taking a throw in. And if the players are not educated, they'll, then they'll make low quality throw ins, take low quality decisions. So, yes, I'm coaching all the players, but it's also important not only about the throw, but most of my folks and our folks uh, are. F- much of my coaching is focusing on uh, how to create space in, in the different areas of the pitch with different tools. Uh, so, uh, so yes, back to your question, I'm coaching every player on the team. Okay. Now, here's a question that uh, I think I came across while I was reading, but I wasn't sure um, if you're interested in that. But, I mean, for me, as, in, as a coach, if I'm coaching a World Cup or a European Championships, I mean, the margins that you're increasing these people, would that not be an absolute gold strike for ha- to have you and co- uh, coaching an international team? Yes. F- first of all, I'll say that that'll be perfect. And then some, some coaches are saying, oh, uh, oh, it's, it's about time. We don't have so much time. But first of all, I'll say that if you're just looking at the long throw-ins, and again, that's only like 5% of my coaching, you know, 
uh, Kian Hansen from FC Midland, he, he made the most of his long throwing improvement, going from a 30 meter uh, throwing that went totally up in the air, way too high, to a 37 meter uh, throwing that came like a rocket. That was almost only the first session that gave FC Midland 35 goals. You know, that was crazy. Of course, there were some technical things with the throw-ins too. And you can also say, if you're looking at the other things, like, like the things I'm calling the fast and the clever throw-ins, every team in the world, no matter if it's a club team or national team, I could go with the team just one hour and increase their, their general performance perhaps with, with 5 or 10% just in one training session. So yes, even though I'm coaching really many teams, I think it's really stupid that that not even more teams have like contacted me. So so I'm I, I would be ready for uh, for the European Championship or World Cup. Uh, so just call me. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, I have I have a ridiculous question that I just have to take an opportunity before my internet totally destroys me, and I'm going to sue the internet provider of my in my city. Um, I have this idea. I don't know if you guys talked about because I missed a bit, but. What about, because I played rugby as a, as a kid and I loved it. What are you against? Is it illegal to do a long throw and then have someone lift up um, someone higher to maybe make a connection or, or make, uh, to try and make connection with the ball? What do you think about that? I think, first of all, it's funny you say, because I've thought about before, not like lifting in rugby, but more like putting a man on top of the other. Uh, but I haven't really like put it into uh, <laughs> in, into to real training or, or, or suggested to the coaches. But I don't think I, I don't think it necessarily would be illegal. But if the referee would say, "Oh, it's not really good sportsmanship to do it like this," and then say you can't do it, I don't know. But but I think your your idea to do it like in rugby could be pretty cool. And um, mm -hmm. why not be innovative? So. Um, so you just, you, I don't know, you probably need, do you need two men or so to lift a guy or can you only do it with one? I don't know. I haven't seen so much rugby yet, but, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a let's funny work together. Story. Let's, let's work together and we'll have oof and floof uh, uh, the dessert right after or something. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question, Jay. That's a great question. And you know what? I can transition that to my, uh, my next question with, with your teachings and with your, you know, your teaching intelligence on top of, of technique with throw-ins, could you branch out your type of distribution to goalkeepers? Can this now be looked at? I mean, because, I mean, you're, you're teaching intelligence of throws and space and things like, can you, and, and a big thing of throw-ins is flexibility, not strength, correct? So, I mean, could this branch off into like a distribution of, of keepers? Yeah, first of all, I'll say that I'm already like including the goalkeepers in my training because if you have a, if you have a, um, a throwing at your own uh, defending third, then the goalkeeper can sometimes, depending on how good he is with his feet or she is with her feet, uh, it can be an option in 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 some circumstances. Uh, and the second thing is that I'm actually already not often, but once in a while, uh, coaching the goalkeepers throwout. So um, I've been coaching uh, goalkeepers in, uh, in, in several clubs where I'm also coaching uh, the throw-ins. For example, I've been coaching the, the goalkeepers in RB Leipzig in throwing further. I also had a guy from the German uh, second Bundesliga. I coached him online 
and he, he improved from um, 37 meters, that's approximately uh, the edge of the penalty area onto the, the, the middle line. And then he improved to 46 meters, so improved um, wow. nine meters only with technical training online. I, I have never met him in real life, so you know. And and that was uh, that was um, you know a flat, a hard throwout, so you can really use it as a counterattack. So yes, I'm all I'm already working with some goalkeepers, but I'm just only branding myself as a as a throwing coach, you know. So, but you know everything you can imagine. That's that is important in a soccer match. You can coach that. So you you haven't probably seen the the um, you know the the last of um, of special coaches who are totally brand new. So it's just mm-hmm. about seeing where can you make a difference and and give some value. That's right. So I'm just going to quickly I'm going to quickly ask you a few um, rapid fire questions, get to know a few things, and then we'll let you get back to your uh, to your day out there. So. The best long thrower that you've ever seen, and can I guess? Is it Rory Delap? Is Delap one of the best? Yeah, I'll say he 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 is absolutely one of the the best. But uh, the other thing that was also good about Rory Delap that he had a team who like went in uh, full on the long throw-ins. First of all, I think that that Stoke had, I think eight out of eleven players were like one meter and ninety and above. So that it was like a team of giants, and then the Britannia Stadium, Stokes uh, Stadium, was also like as narrow as possible as the regulations. So they yeah. did everything. Yeah. So, but I just love it because they went full in. So um, yeah, it's it's probably Raul Dilap who's been the best um, long throw in in, in uh, soccer history. Yeah. So a Danish question: Peter or Casper Schmeichel? Who could who could long throw the best out of those two? I guess it was uh, Peter Schmeichel because he, he had an insane long throw out there. and But he was also like not only a good throw, but he was also like a, a, a really big man here. I think he's, he's, I don't know, approximately 10 centimeters or even more uh, uh, taller than his son. So it also gives an advantage if you want to throw far. So I think it's Peter Schmeichel. Did you ever sit on the bench in a Liverpool game? No, I haven't been sitting on the bench, but uh, I've been sitting on the stands. So um, okay. So uh, yeah. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Jurgen Klopp lose his mind in in training? Is he that intense? Is he as intense as we see on TV? Of course, Jurgen can like any other people like get angrier <laughs> if he's not satisfied. So, but you know, ninety-five percent of the time, I, I'm seeing a, a funny, a caring. A guy who's a really good listener. A lot of people don't know that about Jurgen Klopp, but he's a really good listener. And I've, I've been giving a free role in Liverpool FC. I can do anything I want with the throw-ins. So because he, he trusts me, it's not like him coming and saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. We tried this before. Um, they trust me 100%. So I've been, I, I'm having a free role. So to cap, yeah. uh, cap it all up, uh, he's a fantastic man. That's awesome. What, okay, Andreas Kornmeier. Do they know that he looks exactly like Klopp? Do people joke about that at training? I'll say uh, no, not so much. But I also think it's depending on if he's like what kind of hairstyle he has, but also if he's wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah. So, but you're totally right. With with some specific hairstyles and with the glasses on, he 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 look pretty much like Jürgen does. So. <laughs> um, 
Milad Mohammadi. Do you, does that name ring a bell? Yeah. Yeah. Do you get asked about that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's a, I think it was, I don't know if it was, it was a World Cup, correct? An yeah. Iranian uh, thrower tried to do the flip throw in a, in a match and he kind of landed like sideways and on his head. It, it didn't go well. Do you, <laughs> would you ever recommend a flip throw in a regular game? Yes, if you can do it, if you can, you master the flip throwing, can, it can be a good weapon, especially if you can do the flip throw with a flat style. So I'll recommend that. Okay. And then the, yeah. second pa- then the second part of my answer, and that would probably surprise you because a lot of people have been asking me about Milads. And the funny thing is that that was like the World Cup 2018. And then here um, uh, in the fall, I think it was August 2019, I've been not... This season, but the last two seasons, I've been coaching Ghent from Belgium. And then the, the head coach, Yestor, he said to me, hey, we got a new guy on the team. He's called Milat. Oh. So, so I've been coaching Milat in the throw-ins, not only in the normal throw-ins, but also the flip throw-ins. And if you're going to my Twitter profile and then going back to uh, January 2020, you'll see a tweet from me where Milat is showing that he can do um, the, the flip-throwing correctly. So, oh. so and, and I said to every media, there's a lot of media who's been uh, asking about Milat, and I also actually said to them, I actually think that Milat was uh, really, like, uh, courageous because there are 30 seconds back in a World Cup game. You have to, yeah. to be really courageous to to dare to try to do a flip throw in. He didn't, he only did a half flip throw in, so, but he can do it. Uh, so go on to my Twitter profile, January 2020, I have a tweet where I'm, where I'm showing it. Wow. Okay, so one more question. I'm gonna put you on the spot here, but you have to pick one. Who just by talking to us today, do you think has a longer throw? Me, Steven, or Jay? <laughs> I think it's uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's you, Mark. Because ah. you, okay, okay. We we uh, I'm looking. A lot of different types can throw far, and it's not. It's a lot of people think. Oh, you have to be really strong. A lot of bench press. No, actually, if you're too strong, you can throw shorter. So I'm looking either. Uh, I'll say all types can throw far, or mm-hmm. learn to throw further. Uh, so it's normally either tall guys or it's guys with long arms. It's uh, players who are really flexible in the shoulder joint. That's really important. And it can also be like like players who have a uh, fast twitch fiber. So a, a lot of these combinations there. And I can't really see who's fast here. I can't really see if you're flexible. So the only thing I can judge is who is the tallest. And again, it's really hard. I can only see your face and your shoulders. So I'm guessing that Mark is the tallest guy here. So I'm, I'm saying him. I almost started doing <laughs> yoga, Thomas, just to try and get you to pick me. So you saw flexibility on the screen. Like I really oh, yeah. wanted that. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I just want to wrap it up again by, um, by mentioning here, if anyone in the uh, Ontario Provincial Association or young coaches or, or anybody listening really needs to, we need to get this, 
podcast out to them to maybe reconfigure or rethink our, our U9 and U10 lack of throw-ins because this is something that's revolutionary. And as we mentioned earlier, the best people, the best clubs, the best organizations are one not afraid of change and or to change back. Throw-ins are a big part of the game. Not a small part, as uh, Thomas said here. Uh, it's, it's a massive part of the game. And if we teach our kids young enough to learn to keep possession with throw-ins, we're doing them a much better service than retraining people. That's my opinion. And I think we need to really change that in a big way. So, again, Thomas Gronmark, you have changed the mentality of myself and I want to make sure everybody gets your Twitter handle, which is at Thomas Throwin, at T-H-O-M-A-S-T-H-R-O-W-I-N. And your website, again, is thomasgronmark.com slash free for those four basic free, 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 free four exercises that you can use for any age, youth, kids, any. I've watched them. Steve's watched them. I know, Jay, we've all watched them. And... I promise that as soon as soccer gets back going here, I'll be using those with my kids. And uh, thank you. You're, you're a revolutionary in the game and we need more people like you. You are absolutely welcome. It's been a fantastic pleasure to uh, be in this uh, podcast. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'll just say, I hope to come to uh, Canada once. Uh, as mentioned earlier, I've been to Canada three times so i just love the country it's so beautiful people are uh, extremely friendly so i hope to come with my throw-ins in the future too thomas you're gonna come here we're gonna get you in training sessions jay's gonna lift you up in the air to practice your new revolutionary throw-in and we're gonna buy you a beaver tail dessert so it'll all work out perfect all right thanks yeah thank you so much you're welcome so that was Thomas Gronemark, the throw-in coach for Liverpool, uh, FC Michelin, Ajax, RB Leipzig. I mean, that, I don't know if it's a very specific niche or if some people may take like a huge interest in that and some people would be like, oh, come on. But like that resonated with me and I'm just going to flip it like right back to you both as youth coaches. Would you do this and will you do this with U10s, U9s? Bueller. Hey, Merrick, uh, did you want to do a podcast now? Because no one's answering you. I'll go. <laughs> it was awkward. Uh, I, I, I wanted to take some time to think about why we have it at U10 without throw-ins. And I, I want to maybe that's I was kind of letting Jay or wanting Jay to go first to see what he thought and then paraphrase my answer. I think that what I like about it is it's it's a piece of the game. And why would we not be coaching a piece of the game? Um, I know when you're younger, you have different rules to try and encourage you know, overall skill development. Uh, I like what he wants to do with throw-ins. And when you look at his simple four ones that are, that are basic, but sometimes the best things are that basic is I like the, that there's the, the movement you're doing on, on an angle and there's nothing square. I like how he shows like once you do it on an angle, the, the throwing guy needs to move to get, get another angle. So you're, you're teaching a lot of the basic tenets of a game and of possession. So I really, really like that. It's not just like he said, whip it in the box or the old school mentality. I, I thought it was really important the stat you emphasize with him, Mark, and that and that he emphasized about how many throw-ins you have in a game and how many times you'd lose possession. And I know at younger ages, the young kids, it's it's going to be hard because they're learning the whole entire thing. So yeah. I think people go to a youth game and watch it and see throw-ins wasted and all over the place. 
Um, but I think he made a great point that that's our job is to coach them how to do that and to teach them how to do it. And you're going to see teams that are going to lose possession in a game all over the place. So like, why wouldn't I be teaching my kid at nine or 10? Don't throw it at his neck because there's nothing he can do or don't stand still because now you're marked just like when you're playing possession. So I think the basic principles of it, you can teach. So to answer your question directly, uh, if I'm coaching U11 specifically, which I am, I'll do it. Um, yeah. I'll do it a little bit. I'm not going to spend it forever, but I also appreciate when you look at his videos, he, he actually says not to do it forever. You know, he yeah. says it's a 15 minute exercise and you have other things to do. So yeah. I, I really appreciate how he's coming at it. Yeah. Cause that's the other thing. Like when I was saying like for Ontario or, or our TDs listening or coaches listening to rethink it and reintroduce it in U, in U9 and U10, um, I think it's important to do that, but I'm going to expand on that because if you go like Quebec, for example, they have the throw-ins yeah. and it's like, you just said, and it's like uh grown Mark just said, you can't just have it. Having it isn't okay. Because yeah. if you go to Quebec in a tournament, like we did the throw-ins, it's just chaos. If you're going to have throw-ins coach throw-ins, if you're not going to coach throw-ins, then do what we're doing. So like it goes hand in hand for me. It's like having them, in place means nothing unless you're coaching and, and teaching it properly. I think uh, I, I'm not going to be ignorant to it and pretend like I'm just, I've always been Mr. <laughs> Throwing this and that. I'll, like, I'm probably like everybody else. The first time I heard it, I was like, that's stupid. And, and I'm someone who, like I told them, I get enraged by sort of wasting possession on them and or the people who cheat and walk 20 yards up the field and stuff. So, you know, it's, I think that's just change in general and being open to change. And, and after I got past myself, it is, you can't argue with the things he's, he's putting out there and the way he presents it. And you can't argue at a level like Liverpool, or I'm so glad you brought up world cup. If you're playing six games, like something yeah. that might make you 2% better could win you a world cup. Like it's, those are the margins between a Spain and a Holland and, and whatnot. So I think it's such a massive thing. Like why, like why lose possession so cheaply? Like I hate seeing a player stand still like, Oh, it's just throwing. Well, no, it's part of the game. And then I hate when the, the thrower just sort of stands there. Well, no, get back in and, and, and support. You wouldn't do that in other aspects. So, you know, it's almost it, it completely ignorant of me how I thought of it. Um, and I'm sure there's people out there thinking the same thing. And, and I was the same person making fun of it. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it just, uh, it's almost like I'm self, I'm literally self-reflecting as yeah. a coach because as a coach too, or as a TD or as anybody, it's so easy to say, I don't worry about throw-ins till later. Don't worry about throwing. It's almost like, I don't want to use the word cop-out because it's not the right word, but it's easy to stuff under the rug because it just puts more work on a coach. Now I have to teach throw-ins and I have to incorporate this in my session, but I, now I have to learn there, how, everything is there is to know about a proper throw-in. But like, I, it's easy to fluff under the rug, but why not grab it by its horns and be the best club in the city? Yeah. At keeping possession and throwings, no one's going to keep the stats. No one's going to re uh, really know yep. as they get older. Now I'm not having to teach 13 year old Jack. Yes. Throwing the friggin' ball away, man, because he's yeah. learned it from you nine. And yeah. now I can skip all that. Now he knows. Great point. I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with that. It's uh, and yep. just in case you're not hearing Jay, uh, <laughs> He's had a nightmare of a show where his internet was in and out and he yeah. was, a, a, I don't know, a sea creature. He was a whole <laughs> bunch of different things throughout the show. So his internet and, you know what, Almont Internet Company, can you, can you give Jay a call? 
Yeah. Yeah. Help him but out. Anyway, Poor guy. Yeah. But <clears throat> what I didn't ask him that I wanted to ask him, I asked him about the keepers, which yeah. I'm re- it's really cool that he actually is doing the keeper things, mm-hmm. but does he, and like, do you think he does or should we like teach now defend how to defend a throw properly? Like the next level of it all. It's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, I think, I think probably, yes, I, I would go with, you know, I like that. He says, don't do 90 minute sessions on throw-ins. Like he's not, you know, a complete lunatic. He knows what it is. I would do the same thing. I would suggest maybe teaching it at the same time or as, as you're doing, you know, your throw-in session, like teaching the defenders how to maybe properly defend it as a, as a progression in that drill and, and not beating it too, too much, like beating the dead horse. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask him, like, I know he's not going to give us his secrets and stuff. The one thing I regret not asking is, you know, if you're, uh, if you're Liverpool, who he's coach or whoever, Leipzig, what I, what I was, what I'm surprised I did, I don't see from them, especially having a throw-in coach is why is there not a, an opportunity, like not a long throw-in, but when Trent Arnold Alexander has the ball near the corner flag and the other team's end and he takes 45 minutes to throw it in. Cause I watch him and it takes so long and it, it enrages me. Why are they not sort of yeah. just like almost clearing out or doing like basketball where they, they leave someone one-on-one, you know, and they just throw the ball into them in the box where there's opportunities immediately for a penalty. If someone <laughs> runs through the back of Salar, why are they not doing that? Or someone like Firmino is unbelievable at shielding a ball. That I think is something I'm surprised not to see. And, and of course I'm not touting I'm better than Jurgen Klopp, but, or him, but why, you know, I just, I always wonder that why doesn't it happen? And I always wondered at, at our levels in kids soccer or men's soccer, old timer soccer, you know, like why are we not just lightly lofting the ball? So it bounces into someone's feet in the box and he's holding that guy off. I, you don't see it a lot. And I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, no, it's funny. Cause you teach, t- you teach kids shielding. Yeah. All the time. How to shield, how to feel, how to, you know, do all this stuff. And it just seems such a natural progression. You want a shielding drill? Uh, for me now in my head, perfect. Shielding yeah. drill. We're working yeah. shielding now. You know what? Instead of passing the ball in or clipping the ball in, start with a throw. Why not? No, I mean, it's just, I, and it, it ruined me to think of like 40 to 60 throw. There's more throw-ins in a game than there are, like he said, corners, goal kicks, set pieces, everything it's so strange that such a massive part of the game is ignored. And, and I'm up until three days ago when we booked him as a guest, I ignored it completely too. Yeah, I know. I, I obviously hearing of him, I, I thought of it more, but it makes you like you said, self-reflect and think like when I was coaching this team at this level or the fury and we're in a, in a conference final and all those times, like, how much more of an advantage, like those fine margins, we were losing those games in a penalty shootout or whatever. Like we may have, not had to get there it's it's a piece of the game we uh we we what am i trying to say we neglected and you know i almost have a guilt feeling thinking back to it yeah it's just one of those like innovative things that you just yeah you know that uh that's everybody's missed the mark and then the first one who does it obviously gets crapped on and like laughed at and then in 10 years every team is going to have a throw-in coach and it's going to be the norm and that's just the way it is that's the way anything creative works yeah, no, totally agree. Do you think there's like, uh, there's potential for this? Like, I can just see it. I'm just thinking 10 years down the road now, you're going to have like a striker's camp like we do have. This, yeah. Now you're going to have a throwing camp. You know, like it, it's going to be that big. I can just see it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I want to just also mention like the 30-30 we kind of did. We went a little long with uh, 
uh, ground mark here. So we're going to do like a 40, 20 or a 45, 15. So I'll kind of start wrapping up, but I'm, this is a non-soccer question. Well, <laughs> part soccer. I love other sports and I'm always thinking to myself, what is the fittest sport on the planet? Wow. What do you have to be the fittest at? And, I, and an underrated one, and I'm going to bring it is who's fitter. It was more like a who's fitter, but the soccer players are so fit. You can't really compare them, but tennis players hmm. are tennis players. One of the fittest on the planet. Yeah. I think you have to say that for sure. Just it's, it's, it's similar to soccer and also maybe not different, but even more pronounced in some ways. I think they have the short and sharp burst that we do in the different style of training where we don't just necessarily continually run around a field anymore. Like because soccer's walk, stop, jog, sprint, three quarter backwards, all that. And tennis is incorporates that maybe in even shorter and sharper bursts, of course, but then they also go for like four hours in these five hour grueling matches. Yeah. So there's that, longer endurance as well like that must be such a difficult thing to train i actually remember looking into this years ago and i don't know if it's still true or how accurate my memory was if i'm not mistaken when i looked and i maybe you don't call it a sport but the fittest was actually ballerinas and then it was gymnasts and then i think soccer players and swimmers i think where there's the order yeah yeah. swimming's brutal man swimming like three laps of a pool like i'm gonna have a heart attack it's the most insane yeah, but like for going back to tennis, like I'm always trying to think of what sport complements soccer like well, like to do Very like one, yeah. as like a multi-sport. Like and with you, I think you nailed like that. Those like short, sharp birds, like your agility, like yeah, that's got to be something you can pair up with. Uh, you know, if you're multi-sport, I think you you're I think you're bang on, and you see a lot of the like the crossover between them too. Like <laughs> the tennis players juggling this, the the ball before they serve and flicking up. I think even Isevich yeah. did it. And you're like, for like these guys have soccer backgrounds because it's Europe, and yeah. and and you see that crossover. I think it's a great. I, I actually played tennis a lot as a kid. I really loved it. If I if I had another sport, I'm so glad you picked it. I would have done tennis. Like I absolutely loved playing tennis. And I think you're bang on with mimicking the motions. I think basketball is another good one yeah. in parallel. I always found after playing basketball at school for a lengthy time or being on the basketball team that I would come back to soccer a better defender because mm-hmm. it was just a quicker amount of putting yourself in that position. And the defensive shape in basketball is the same as soccer. And arguably you have yeah. to be even quicker to react in basketball as a defender. So that really mimicked it. Of course, you're using your hands. And so it's people will say it's totally different, but that defensive part, I yeah. like, I always thought that's a massive thing. Like I, I remember as a 14 year old being aware, like this is helping me in soccer. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. If anyone's, if, if anyone's listening, <laughs> uh, send us, uh, send us what you think, like the best complimentary sport to soccer. Now I'm fascinated by that. I, I'm, I'm sticking with tennis until someone tells me otherwise, but yeah. That's a, that's a pretty interesting topic, actually, because everybody's saying, uh, you know, should we multi-sport? Should we multi-sport? Sure. But if you want a multi-sport, like let's say, well, say you're a soccer player because we're a soccer podcast. If you're going to multi-sport, p- perhaps find, a mul- uh, find another sport that can really help you in that focal game that you want. Like if you're a hockey player, find something uh, that mimics hockey. You know, like that's, um, I, I don't know. That's an interesting. I think you're right, Mark. I think it's, like I believe in multi-sport uh, and especially up to a certain age, I believe in, you know, the whole Wayne Gretzky thing that I think most people have heard where he, he was desperate to hang up his skates because he wanted to play baseball. And then 
he also played lacrosse and then he went back to hockey, you know? So yeah. everybody always says, Oh, you can't do that now. And nowadays I, I, I would completely disagree. So yeah. I think the tennis and in, in, in the summer to, as a break from soccer, even just a mental break, I think a basketball in a fall. And so I think it's a great point though, paralleling it, if that's even the right way to say it. <laughs> the only other thing I would say though, is like, if you don't actually love that other sport, you know, yeah. so that makes it tough and, you know, very cheesy and like, not to be just like devil's advocate. You, I just found in any sport, you're going to find something that's going to help you, you know, but to your point, what would maximize that is, is a great, great question. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much uh, like where I wanted to go with the throw. Like I could go on the throwing. Yeah, like yeah, it's just really crazy, crazy that, like, you know, a Liverpool. Like, this is Liverpool. This is not like no. no offense to you know CPL or whatever, but like this is like like a guy who works for Liverpool, like and you know, Ajax and Leipzig and Ghent. Yeah. Like these are big clubs. I, for, I forgot to ask. I was dying to ask him. And if he's listening to this show, can you like DM me or something? Do you have a Champions League medal or a Premier League medal? Did you That's get one? Question. That's a good question. I I, I want. I'm gonna to say yes. It. I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, I think as much as I'm not a Liverpool fan, whatever. Put all that crap aside. I've Klopp seems to me the type of person who would have gone out of his way to get everybody yeah. involved in the club like yeah. a medal. You know, so like I can see him having one, but he had that photo after the Champions League club where he actually brought them all out. He brought them all out on the field. He may even got like the press secretary lady who helped him prep and all that. You could tell she didn't want to and he brought them all on the field. So, yeah, you're you're probably right that he would have gone that way and done it. But then I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Grandmark, why is it not behind me in the podcast in like (laughs) beautiful frame like Bang, bang, yeah. like right here, like yeah. Champions League, Premier League. Part of why I liked him, though, I, I, he's definitely humble. Like he's okay. definitely sees yeah. both sides of everything he's doing. Um, and you, you you get the passion off him. You know, if someone can make you passionate and to talk and to want to do a show on on throw-ins, like if you told yeah. 20-year-old Stephen O'Kane that, I would have laughed at you and told you you're an idiot. But yeah. like yeah. he's infectious that way. Well, that's infectious. Yeah, <laughs> it's a new thing that I'm talking about. Um, the... Uh, that's a, you know that's a sick point because if you put somebody in like me who's like a little bit more subdued and I'm like gonna coach throw-ins and like the first negative thing I hear I'm like I just melt into a puddle like frosty and just <laughs> lie to home like yeah. with a guy like him I don't think he cares no, like I, I don't think he cares if 89 of the 90 students in his course don't care it's he will jump on the one and be like he's just like he's just a happy infectious personality guy who's just like this is why and he's passionate about it. you yeah. have to buy into that stuff. yeah it's true would you rather live in <laughs> live in an igloo in north nunavut <laughs> for one year okay this is like in an actual igloo in northern nunavut for one year or in a traditional like straw hut in like equatorial like right on the equator on in like equatorial guinea <laughs> such a good question uh, did i build the igloo or is it professionally built no they're both professionally done for you and that's this is where it's tricky because right away i'm like i don't want to be cold ever i don't want to be too. Cold. first instinct but, yeah but think about july when your ac breaks yeah like that's uh, that has to be one of the worst 
things that can happen to it in a first world problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, very, very, you know. I'm going to give you a very J-centric answer and I agree with it. I'm going to go with the straw hut because I could be around soccer. <clears throat> wow, that was a that was a great pull around to right? a soccer. Because Jay's not here, I have to pay homage to him. That's how he would have answered. And I have to say, I would agree. That would make my decision because each one is equally awful when you're in that situation like i would be lying in that hut just sweating like not even moving angry not not sleeping but i don't want to be frozen where i feel like i'm gonna die in an igloo yeah cold is cold is bad cold is bad it really is yeah you get home from a night of coaching you eat dinner what's your preference now i i feel like there's been a shift in the last 10 years you sit on your couch do you want to watch like a good solid movie or are you into like you're just like tv show i'm completely i'm not gonna say off movies i can't like i don't really watch movies i i think it's like the golden age of tv and there's so many things like and all these tv shows they're better movies because they can do a whole movie length episode on one aspect and then move on. So I'm always binging some, something, some series, or I'm watching a doc, like a good documentary to me. Like I can just sit there and watch it and zone out in a way or veg and just enjoy it. Yeah. Movies are done. Like they really are. They have to do something. There has to be a grown mark of the movie scene (laughs) to like figure something out because it's like, it's so obvious. They have to wrap it up. So it's like, they have to have this, 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 and this, and you know, it's going to happen with, like you said, with TV, like, it's just like, it's never ending. Yeah. It just goes, it can go forever. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to flip back to movies though, but do you. Hold on though. Speaking of movies, why don't we talk about your movie recommendation to me? A documentary on the way back on a fury trip, road trip story. (laughs) Mark gets me all excited. He talks about this documentary for, for forever, how it's amazing, how we're going to watch it. He gets the laptop, little snacks to put beside us. We cozy into a seat yeah. together. We're about to watch this to kill like a good two and a half hours of a nine hour bus ride. I'm all excited. We're like the best friends in the world. Our feet are giggling. <laughs> like we're tapping each other Through like five minutes into the video. He's asleep in the movie and he's, and he doesn't ever return. He's gone. He's like, that was stupid. And I, had, I suffered through the whole thing. It was the worst movie ever. And it was bad, then, too. I think since yeah. then, I've been off. Like, you ruined it for me. Yeah. Like, that was, it was really bad. It had so much potential, but I was done. I was you done. You gave man. up so fast. I was yeah. like, I could never be in a relationship with this guy. Like, he gives up on things too quick. And you know what's funny? It's like, I have the worst sleeping patterns. Like, I don't sleep. Like, I'm like insomnia, man. But that you know what i might even use that now like just when i can't sleep just throw that that was brutal but i'm gonna flip to a movie again are you this is our generation so it may not resonate with the young ones but are you a rambo or a commando guy uh i'm rambo if either i was i would say like for the cheese back then and the action i was more like blood sport (laughs) Oh yeah, Van Dam. I was gonna add Van Dam into Van Dam was I got into Van Dam, I'll be honest. Like yeah, oh yeah. I love Van Dam. Love Van Dam. Like yeah. I'm I'm writing a list now because me and my sons and my wife, we just went through all the Avenger movies in order over COVID. And we're on the last one and we're all panicking now. Like, what the hell are we gonna do in the evening? So I'm like, okay, boys, you're old enough now. We're gonna watch Commando, <laughs> we're gonna watch T2. 
And we're going to watch Bloodsport. Those three. We have, like, Bloodsport is an absolute must for any any human. Tong Po is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different level. Who would win in a fight? And this is a real question because I looked it up, me and my son. Who would win in a fight? A lion or a silverback gorilla? Oh, my God. I think a silverback gorilla. Yeah, great call. I a silverback gorilla. No, yep. But I'd give it a strong favorite, actually. Really? See, yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah. But like a, like a silverback is like one of the strongest, crazy, tough, these things. That, like It beat everything on the planet except for one it lost in the finals. To what? You're killing. This is like. Oh. The one thing that can defeat a silverback gorilla in a 1v1 tournament is a grizzly bear. What? Yeah. I would have said silverback top or at least over a grizzly bear. A grizzly yeah. bear. Grizzly bear, their claws are just too much. They're devastating. They're, wow. Yeah, it's nuts. Eh? I, I, I really I researched that and it was like the most fascinating like 15 minutes of my life speaking of animals and grizzlies and silverbacks can we talk about his answer to who would have the longest throw he picked you easily because of your your shoulders are like it's it's like you're a 1980s defensive end in college football and you have like the biggest shoulders protruding up to your ears and he looked at them and he's like those things throw far like i was so angry i didn't win that I wanted to say I'm taller than you. I think I'm like a slightly taller than you. And I was so childish. Oh. I was so happy. Usually I never win those, like those trifecta offs about us. When we, when we ask that, it's usually he like. He went to you quick. It's because of your shoulders. They're monster shoulders. Yeah, it was, it was nice to, to finally get some recognition of my SpongeBob uh, physique. <laughs> uh, do you think you could beat up your 25-year-old self? right now that's a great question neither of us are good fighters (laughs) neither of us i think i actually think i'm dirtier now so i think i'd win because i'm dirtier and i would do anything that breaks any rule of society to beat him and it's and it's it's something to do in sports the parallel in sport experience is everything yeah yeah I mean, maybe not a 90 year old, but like, and also man strength. Like, I don't know if that's like a real thing. And I don't mean like man versus women's strength. I'm talking about like when you get older, adult strength is probably a better way to put it. Like, yeah, the older you get, it just seems like you get like this weird or like parenthood strength. Like it's weird. You get stronger. I was fighting my son, uh, 13. That sounds terrible. Like CAS is now coming to my house. (laughs) Well, like we were wrestling and fighting. He was like, it was like a, a very primal silverback gorilla moment where he was like trying to show me he's tougher now. And I had that primal dad strength and I just, I didn't even fight him. I just lay on him and pinned him. And my like laying strength, I was actually thinking like, this is fascinating. He can't move. Like I've got him. It was just like this grappling UFC. You're pinned and you're dead. And I was just so proud of myself. And it's even worse as a child for your dad, to, especially during COVID times, because yeah. we probably haven't showered in like six days and you're wearing like the same shirt and you're just, your armpits in yeah. his face and yeah. you're just like, you know what, man? Yeah. Suck all this in. 
Yeah, and I was like, challenge me again. Challenge the, <laughs> exactly. challenge the leader again. I just was looking for my wife. Like, I wanted her to see it. <laughs> so pathetic. So, yeah, I win as an older guy. Yeah, yeah I, think, yeah, I think adult strength is the, is the way to go. So, anyway, with that said, we got to um, alert the authorities, see if Jay's okay out there in Elmont. Um, <laughs> Jay, if you're, uh, if you're alive, send us a text. Um, if not... Make sure you clean your fish tanks, take care of your family, hug your family. See you later. Those who know Jay, just to end, I know you ended it, Mark. Those who know Jay, <laughs> those who only know Jay even through this podcast, I think they're all aware that he is absolutely raging mad right now. There is something being kicked or thrown, and he is just going to – I don't even want to call him until tomorrow because he's going to be steaming. Yeah, I'm going to read his uh... – I'm going to read this. Hang on here. I'm going to read Jay's text that he sent us. This is what Jason said. <laughs> you guys are frozen. That's what he said to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Steve's like, no, that's on your end. And then he wrote, I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Steve said, it sounds like a table dragging. I heard it from minute one. Weird. And then Jay says, Nightmare. I'm off again. Might just be you two. I left to get a coffee. I'm fuming. That's the last <laughs> contact we've had with Jay. And for those who know Jay, obviously he struck out at anyone but him because it's not ever his fault. <laughs> yeah. Know? He's laying on his oldest son right now. Yeah. Dad's strengthening him <laughs> like, and just holding him on the ground. Amazing. All right. All right. Get See the hell out of here. very much for listening today if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and of course leave us a five-star review if you want to get in touch you'll find us on instagram at soccer snob one on twitter at soccer snobs one by searching for us on facebook and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen you can leave us your opinion give us any comments and if that's where you want to get nasty feel free to do so